Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here for Reinvent Yourself, our podcast that hopefully shows you great ideas and inspiration of what other people have done from all walks of life to reinvent their lives, their marriages, their bodies, their homes, their everything. We want to come at it from all directions because we are always evolving. And I want to talk to you today about a wonderful woman named Terry Bryant, and she has a fabulous website called guidebeauty.com. You'll hear more about that. And she was a makeup artist who eventually got a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease and found that all the things that she was doing before were becoming challenged. And she didn't stop with that and say, oh, woe is me, what am I going to do? My, everything is over. She said, let me figure out how to work around this and see how I can continue to do what I love to do, which is makeup and uh, making people feel good, um, but in a different way. And she set about recreating products um, ergonomically so that they are easy to work with for instance, your eyeliner, which I can still not work with. Um, but if your hands are shaky or if that you have um, arthritis or if you have any kind of less than perfect 20-year-old hands, which none of us do, um, she's figured out how to make products so that the things go on easier um, and you don't have that issue. And what I really love is that she talks about her reinvention and where she talks about until she was present with her problem, when she finally got her diagnosis and she was totally, absolutely present with it. She said, before I was, at first I was not open and honest with myself about what was happening. And until I was, I couldn't unlock my reinvention. The opportunity to embrace is an opportunity to find your community and then you are not alone. And I think this applies to many of us in many different areas. And I think even if you're not going to reinvent yourself in the makeup world, I think her experience applies to many, many things. So enjoy listening to Terry Bryant. So hello, Terry, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, thank you, how are you? Good, so I am so glad to talk to you. I love when innovation comes from one's own personal experience. And um, there's nothing like being the person that needs the item, as they say. So let's talk a little bit about what got you into being a makeup artist. What drew you there? Sure, I mean, from day one, there's not a time I can remember not wanting to, to play with makeup. Uh, my mother used to take me Back in the day when cosmetic companies launched uh, every season, you'd go you know, so four times a year for your spring, summer, winter, fall collections of makeup counters. My mother would take me to go see Cesar, who was the makeup artist in town, and I would watch in awe and think, someday I'm going to do that. Uh, and I used to play just for hours on end at home in makeup. I would create, I would wash off my face. It was my canvas. Um, and uh, eventually, I think there was a, a skill set that I think just naturally came came to me, but over the years, I really developed that, and it came from passion. Was your mom a big makeup wearer? She was a big, I mean, she loved it. I don't know that she would call herself a makeup artist, but she was certainly the one who introduced me to it. I think, you know, just watching her sit in the chair and 
how much she lit up when he would hand her the mirror at the end of whatever session that they had. So, you know, he would do her makeup, she would look at herself and you could tell she just immediately felt fabulous. She sort of owned her, her herself a little bit more that day. She walked a little taller and I thought, wow, she, it's not just about the makeup, but she recognized her own beauty in those moments in ways that I don't know on a day-to-day -day basis that she would have otherwise. Um, so not necessarily a makeup artist, but certainly she, she loved it. And so what did you study in school? I actually went to school for uh, elementary and special education, so which, which ended up uh, being a, a great combination for me. Um, you know, I started out thinking I was going to teach little kids. I was working at the cosmetics counter while I was going to school at Syracuse. And uh, at one point realized that I had this really great love for artistry. I had this great love for education. I saw that there was a need because I had been spending years, you know, doing makeup for friends, family, clients. And I could tell as much as I wanted to show them the steps to application. It was one thing to understand steps to application, but it didn't mean they went home and they felt confident applying for themselves. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could combine these worlds? And, and that's what I did. And were you doing things for films? Were you doing personal stuff? What were you, what was your main business? Yeah, so when I started out, I first started in New York um, and I was working as a, as a makeup artist and I was doing, uh, you know, behind the scenes artistry for, for mostly for print ads, um, also working for a cosmetic company as a trainer. So I was going around, I was helping develop artistry and education programs. I was teaching direct to the consumer, but I was also teaching people that touch the consumer, helping them figure out how to, how to enhance the skill set of the average makeup wearer. Uh, and eventually ended up moving to California uh, and started developing education programs for cosmetic companies. Um, and that was, a, while I was doing that, I was also working on set for uh, doing campaigns for cosmetic companies, uh, doing runway, doing uh, fashion, film, uh, you know, the whole, the whole thing, and I loved it. It was kind of the best of all worlds. So tell us a crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. I can tell you some really funny ones. I know you must have one. You don't have to name names if you. Don't. I won't. <laughs> I won't name it. I mean, oh, there's so many good ones. I mean, I think one of the, the most amazing things. Uh, you know, there were probably two really actually amazing events we did that I thought were kind of crazy, but when you saw them executed, were just sort of brilliant. Uh, one of them was we were doing makeup for the models, and then everybody was encased in these giant glass boxes that were suspended from air. Uh, so you walked into a room and originally thought that you had, it was a joke. There was no fashion show going on, and there was no, there was no runway. And all of a sudden, you realized that the lights came up that you were meant to look up, and there were women hanging from boxes. Uh, and it, but it, it was it was actually it was just a stunning presentation. So that one certainly stands out in my mind. But I remember when they came, you know, before, before you lead a, a show, you meet with the designer and they give you their inspiration and they have their boards up. And I'm, I'm listening to him thinking, he wants them suspended from the ceiling. I don't know that that, how is that possibly going to work? But, uh, but he pulled it off. That's great. There's all kinds of crazy, wacky stuff. I'll tell you one that'll make our listeners laugh. We used to do the cover, um, you know, the covers with celebrities for all our different magazines. And I won't say who it was, but a very beautiful actress who everybody knows. Um, my stylist was there and he was making sure that they 
powdered, you know, they had a uh, low cut dress and they were making sure that they powdered into the low cut dress so that she didn't have like a, a, a dark face with tan looking and then yeah. the white neck and the white cleavage. And as he's just putting her on the set, he realizes he's like, oh, somebody left a little um, hair from the um, powder brush on her. And he goes to reach for it. And this is really unbelievable. And he pulls it and her skin oh. comes with it. Oh, no. <laughs> he was so mortified. The poor guy. He was like, he was like turned 50 shades of white. And that's hysterical. Oh, that's so funny. So yeah, yeah. Well, I, actually, now I have to. There, you made you made me think of one more, one more, which is uh, we were on set, or actually on location, doing makeup, and the model, who's very well known model, um, we couldn't between takes we couldn't continue on until everybody stopped to hug a tree. <laughs> so they do makeup, and then we'd have to go walk out to because we were on location outside. We had all had to go out and hug a tree, and then we could go back to the set, shoot, retouch makeup, go back out, hug a tree again. <laughs> So classic, hilarious, yeah. Yeah. oh my God. So let's talk a little bit about um, you and talk about your health diagnosis. When did it happen and how did it happen? Sure, so, you know, a lot, it started happening a, a lot earlier than I, I was really aware of. So, um, you know, I was working as a makeup artist and I was working as an artistry educator. And uh, over the years, I've started to notice this sort of uh, slight change to my skill set. And so, you know, some, one of my most memorable moments was, uh, you know, about 10 years ago on set and I was doing a model's makeup and I was doing a technique that I'd done a million times over and never thought twice about it. And it was something that would have just come very easily to me. And it was taking me just a little bit longer and I wasn't executing it with the same level of precision I had always known. And uh, I thought it was odd, but I, but I kind of ignored it. And those things kept happening happening to me uh, because I was also doing education. I just found myself kind of pivoting, but a little unaware why. So, um, you know, maybe I got a call for, um, to, for a shoot and it was one model and I knew it was the entire day and I would take it. But if somebody called me for uh, fashion week and I knew it was a long day and it was going to be fast paced and, and multiple models, uh, I would choose not, not to not to take that job. And I, I just kept heading more and more into education. So I was pivoting and I was changing and uh, in some ways evolving in my career, but uh, just not, not, not so aware of why. And then, uh, you know, as it continued, let's say about five years later, that skill set started to uh, diminish enough that it was affecting my own ability to do makeup. And I realized at that point, you know, I can't ignore this anymore. Something's physically wrong. And so I went to a, a physician uh, who sent me to a neurologist, and that's when I got my diagnosis. And so, you know, in that diagnosis, all of a sudden became the moment of awareness where now all of a sudden I became an active participant in, in this sort of evolution I was going through. Can you talk about what your diagnosis was and how old you were? Because people who are listening um, won't necessarily know how all that happens. And what was, I'm surprised that you can go on for five years with not knowing completely or not, it, it was, it just is that slow a ramp up, right? Yeah. Well, it, it is a bit of a slow ramp up. And I think, and I, you know, everybody's experience uh, you know, is different. Mine was slow. Uh, but I think when you are 
maybe when you don't want to accept maybe your own truth a little bit, I think uh, I didn't want to, you know, at the time I was, I was afraid of losing my job. I was afraid of losing my identity. Um, and I was in denial of it. So, you know, it started with symptoms presented, you know, initially, let's say you know, 10 years ago, there was some stiffness that was in my shoulder, maybe some pain. I, I noticed uh, my fingers sort of were losing a little bit of mobility that I couldn't quite move them as independently from each other as easily. But, you know, you, I would go at times, actually, you know, I remember at the time asking, you know, medical providers and, and uh, for, for suggestions of what this might be. And a lot of people said, you're fine. You're just getting a little older. Um, you know, I, I'm now 47. And so let's say, you know, I got the diagnosis about five years ago. Um, but through those years, you know, you probably don't work out enough. You need to stretch. You should go see a physical therapist, get yourself a trainer. Those were the types of things that people were telling me. And so I thought, well, that, that sounds better than something worse. Um, and certainly I'm not much of an exerciser. So uh, that's probably it. Um, and, and, you know, I, probably if my only choice was to continue on and work on set, I might have been forced to face it sooner. But because I have been running a career with sort of parallel path and able to sort of focus more on the education, it was probably a little bit easier for me to, to be blind to it for a while. Yeah, I can see how if, if you're worried about losing your job, you don't want to acknowledge it and certainly can't go public with it, right? Right, right, yes. Um, and I did it for a long time. I, you know, you can only sustain for so long and certainly as my symptoms progressed and then sort of the, the one symptom I think most people sort of recognize when they think of Parkinson's is, a shaky, is shaky hands or, or, or a shake. And so as that started to happen, I, you know, there, not only you know, at that point had I, did I already know I had Parkinson's, but there was no hiding it. Um, and so it became you know, very hard. At the time, I was actually going on television and uh, at, at the face of, a, of a artistry face of a, a few brands. And I was sort of presenting myself as the artist I always was. And I'm trying to sit on my hand and hold one hand with the other. Uh, and it's, it's not, a, not a great way to to, to live, not a great, not a great way to exist, right? So, um, you know, the beauty of, of getting, you know, if you can find the beauty in, in getting the diagnosis is now I, you know, life kind of sort of smacking in the face and saying, this is what's in front of you. So how do you want to deal with it? And so how did you decide to deal with it? I mean, you know, <laughs> I saw the story. I, I uh, certainly not to make light of it because there, you know, there's bigger concerns that come up. I think when you get a diagnosis like Parkinson's, but I remember sitting in the doctor's office and having them tell me, you know, you have, you have Parkinson's and uh, my, uh, my father was actually in the room with me at the time. And when we left, he said, you look like you kind of, kind of went uh, blanked out a little bit there. Like you kind of faded out. Are you, you okay? Where did your brain go? And I said, you know, it probably went a lot of places, but <laughs> The truth is, in that moment, I thought, how am I going to do my makeup? Um, I started thinking through, you know, how am I going to keep myself together? How I present myself to the world matters. And it's something I've always owned. I mean, I can, I, you know, I was thinking through, like, you could get your hair blown out once a week. You can put on a, you know, I can put on a caftan and a cocktail ring and that for fabulous outfits. But what about my makeup? That's a daily activity. And, and so, you know, not to say I'm shallow, because certainly there, again, there are other things that went through my mind. but um, it's something I always owned. How, how I put myself together, how I present myself is something I owned, and that was something I didn't want to lose. On top of it is that, you know, makeup to me was my livelihood. It was my creative outlet. 
It's been the way that I've connected with women and men over the years, my greatest, closest friendships. I mean, growing up, um, I was a little bit awkward as a kid and I didn't always know how to connect with people. And I found that uh, when somebody was in my makeup chair, I could always find a connection point. So there was on so many levels, I didn't want to give it up. And I ran home and I started to create and design for the what if. I, I needed to make sure I wasn't going to lose this. So if, if these products didn't exist, if I was going to struggle, I was going to create my own formulas and my own tools. And I was going to figure out a way that I could maintain. And as I was doing that, at one point, I remember it was actually, I was designing something around mascara. And I remember looking up at my husband and saying, wow, this is actually so much easier right now. Wouldn't it have been great if I had had this for all those thousands of clients and friends and family that I've worked with over the years? And then that, you know, that light bulb moment happened, which was, oh, oh, wow, did I just, did I just tap into something that I was looking for all those years in artistry education? I mean, it was always looking for a better way for people, but I was now standing inside the space that I was trying to design for, and so I was able to see it much more clearly. Yeah, I think what they say is um, chances for reinvention throw themselves in front of you. Yes. And it's, <laughs> And it's interesting that you already had that sense that these things needed reinventing. So why don't you explain a little bit of what that is um, and what the reinvent, you know, give us one or two of the products that you changed and explain what they do um, for people. And you can even talk about what some of your clients have said about them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's two things that I think that a lot of people find challenging with makeup. I mean, First, it's where do I begin? What products should I use? Um, you know, what's the right colors? What are my selections? And then you get into actual application. And, you know, over the years, hearing from clients, working with people in user studies, and from my own experience, things that require greater level precision, um, fine motor skills, like, you know, when you're getting in close to the eye, eyeliner, mascara, brow, those were, those were products and those were techniques that most people find challenging and even for a makeup artist who may not find it as challenging you know never in my life have i said i'm going to throw on a winged eyeliner i'll be there in two seconds you know those things just are are not quite as, as easy to achieve so i was looking at tools and makeup that i knew required that level of precision and when we were designing we actually partnered with a design team that specializes in human factors engineering so we were looking at those principles of human factors and ergonomics when we were designing because we were saying we have to approach this on, on many levels if you think of a traditional tool so if you talk about eyeliner for example a traditional eyeliner tool is um you know it's generally small it's uh it's um you've got to grab onto it and 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 make a tight fist uh you're locking up your hand and now you're coming in horizontally and you're coming in close to your eyeball with a very pointed object and, and trying to draw a precision line. So there are a lot of things that immediately sort of clearly, because I was feeling the disconnect that so many people had shared with me, I started to see possibility. And so we were looking at these human factors principles. We knew we needed to make it more comfortable. So we had to have a more comfortable grip, um, but we also needed to create a process that made it more intuitive and, and we had to achieve a precision level of skill set. And so, um, in doing that, we created the, the guide wand. And the guide wand is a longer tool. So it's a 
it's a, it's a more comfortable form to holding your hand and it has spaces that allow your hand to sort of free up because the minute you tighten your grip, you lose a certain amount of fluidity and motion um, and control. So we want, we knew everything we did needed to, to have that level of sort of a, a soft hold. Uh, but then we also created spots like a finger rest for more stability. Uh, we created points, resting points that hold against your face so that you could tip the applicator and land it exactly where it needed to go before you even applied your color. Um, so there were a lot of, there's a lot of thought process that went into it. One of the most interesting things when we were designing and looking at human factors was, you know, there's kind of two forms of, of human factors design that, that we were looking at. And the first is when we were talking to our design team is they were, let's say if they were creating something, they might be looking at creating something for more comfortable hold, um, things that would create less strain on the hand. And that could be, you know, uh, your everyday tools, a, a, a kitchen tool that you hold in your hand. Um, and then on the other side of that, they were designing for precision level skill sets. So surgical tools that surgeons use um, when operating that, you know, those, <laughs> that precision level took on a whole new level of meaning. And we were saying, we want to actually combine those principles. So we need something that's comfortable to hold. We need something that's not non-strain. We need to design it so that you can achieve a, a level of precision because the results matter when you apply this. And oh yes, and by the way, this is beauty, so it needs to be stunning, and it needs to be a luxury, and it, and the process of applying it needs to be as joyful as how you feel once you get it on your face. So between the eyeliner and the mascara and the brow, you'll find that every way you hold it frees up your hand for greater stability. Uh, you come at, at application instead of horizontally, vertically, so your arm is always closer into the body, which automatically starts to stabilize your hand for application. And you'll see that, that the applicators are also angled in a way that, that gives you that precision level skill set. Who else would this be good for? Because I was watching the video, everybody can go onto your site. Um, give the name of your site so we can, is it guide? It's guidebeauty.com, yes. G-U-I-D-E, beauty. Dot com. Dot com. Absolutely. And you have the little videos there, right? Where you can really yeah. see how it works. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's like a whole different concept of application that you almost say like, why don't I just use this? Putting the, putting <laughs> eyeliner on has <laughs> been a nightmare for everybody, right? You know? Well, that is the truth to it, right? So when this started for me, I had a, you know, my Parkinson's, you know, we initially presented and, and still, you know, it's it's definitely under control, right? So um, what it did is that that slight diminished skill set that I was feeling put me in the position of maybe the everyday makeup wearer. So when I started designing, I was really designing for everyone, right? Because like you said, it could be that you have um, a, a physical limitation that makes it more challenging for you, like Parkinson's, MS, arthritis, essential tremors, or you are, you know, you you are a busy mom and you may have uh, none of those things, but eyeliner takes a long time or it's not a, it's never been an easy skill. So I just want it to be a faster, easier, better way to apply. Uh, and I want it, and I want it done with more precision. So we really did approach it through uh, universal design because when you design for the greater challenge, you end up making it a better, easier process for the whole. So what can you do now about getting it on there when you have crinkly 
eyes over. <laughs> Have you fixed that? Because that's my big problem now. Like, no matter how I apply it, it all looks crinkly and bad. Like I'm not even doing I it. I don't so. believe you. I don't believe you. Help us um, with that. Uh, sure, sure. And actually, you know, there's there's truth to you know everybody's eye shape is different uh as we go through life uh you know our skin changes and and uh you know there are areas that are harder to get into and if you look at the guide wand as a perfect example and if you look at the applicator tip which is curved with this very fine precision edge to it um it allows you because you know when you think about what you're trying to do with eyeliner there's all sorts of fun techniques, but at the, the very core concept of eyeliner is you are looking to enhance your lash base. If you can make the base of your lash look thicker, it makes your eye look brighter, more open, wider, and, and uh, you know, just more refreshed. So by creating a precision edge that never dulls and that's tilted to land right in that space where your lashes and your lid meet, you don't have to worry about it being too thick or, or getting to the space where I may fold in, in new ways. Um, so that actually you might find is kind of a brilliant way for you to apply if that's one of the challenges you have. Yes, we are all having that challenge, my dear. It's getting worse. I, I hear you. Well, and actually, you might also want to try the uh, the invisible liner technique, which is, is hands down my favorite. Which Can you talk about that? Explain I, that for everybody. I, I, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to because uh, it is it is one of my favorites. So when you look at the, and I, you know, I, I wish I could sort of visually, if I had in my hand, but if you go to guybeauty.com, you can see the videos. And even on, uh, you know, on our Instagram, if you if you go, we're populated with a lot more videos. You'll see me flying uh, with different levels of, of, of shakiness because depending on the day, that's where my hand is. But the invisible liner is a beautiful technique for everybody because it is, and we call it invisible liner because it immediately gives definition to the eye, but it almost doesn't look like you're wearing makeup. And instead of applying eyeliner above the lashes, you're actually applying the eyeliner underneath the lashes and stamping it right into the waterline. And so when you do that, you are closing in the gap, right? So if you think about your waterline, um, it's a lighter color. So you have your lashes, which you get dark, right? And then you have the whites of your eye, the color of your eyes, but if you can stamp into the waterline with eyeliner and close in that gap, it creates this beautiful level of, of definition. And you also don't have to think about creating shape, which is a, a lot of what people struggle with. It's, you know, how much of a, a wing do I need to, to create? How tight do I get in, need to get that liner into the corner? And am I supposed to get a little thicker as I get to the outer part of my eye? None of that applies when you just follow the natural shape of your eye. And when you follow the natural shape of your eye and the waterline at the top waterline, it works on everyone. Can you explain what waterline is? I think I yeah. know what you mean. It's when you sort of fold up your eye and you kind of you kind of like put it under the lash line. Is that what you That's mean? That's exactly. It's waterline okay. or wet line. So you have one top and bottom. Um, and so it's a little bit more dramatic when you put it on that bottom waterline. But you're exactly right. If you think about... Um, you know, if you look at your lashes and at, the, at your top lid, look at your lashes and then go right under them at the very base, that's where you'll find your waterline. And you kind of have to almost push your lid a little bit so that it flips up a tiny bit to make it easier to get under there sometimes. Well, and I know that, it can make your eyes water a little bit too, but when you're done, it's great. I've done that. 
Yes, and actually that's another great point, which is normally you would have to use a pencil and uh, to do that this technique. And when you use a pencil, that's part of the reason your eyes water because you have to pull your lid up and because you're using a pointed object, right? It's a little sharp, uh, which means you also have to apply a little bit more pressure. When you use the guide wand and the guideline cream eyeliner, you're using this soft, flat surface and you're using this really rich luxe cream. And so the color glides on really smoothly and evenly. And because it's, that, it's, it's a precision edge, but it's a wide precision edge, you don't have to work as, as hard. You don't have to sort of draw for as long of a period. So you're covering less, more space more quickly, which also gives your eye that rest. Um, and so you'll find that the watering, the watering you would normally get, the need to pull your lid up, um, that goes away when you use this type of tool to apply your, your makeup. So just to um, talk a little bit about also why it's so important as we get older and we have various deficiencies that come up to us and limitations. I mean, we're all going to have it. Our hair is falling out. Our eyebrows are disappearing. <laughs> we're getting double chins. We're, I mean, all kinds of crazy things are happening. Why is it important to some people? And some people it's just not. But for the yeah. people who it is, and you say that this was important to you, it was something you owned. Um, how yeah. you look and how you pull yourself together. What does that do for people? Um, you've been in that business very long, me too, and I really do believe there's a psychological benefit. Absolutely. You know, I think there's two kind of two forms of artistry. One is more, um, you know, transformational. It's more the world of make-believe. Um, you know, it's, it's Halloween makeup. It's, um, I, you know, make me into somebody else. And then there's my favorite type of makeup, which is enhancements it's it's uh it's what i call celebratory makeup when somebody sits in my makeup chair automatically and uh, there's some feature pops out that says i'm beautiful celebrate me and so you know that's what i think good makeup is it's um and when somebody's in your chair and you say you know those eyes those cheekbones the shape of your lips whatever it is i want to celebrate that today and when they look in the mirror and they see it what they're recognizing is it, that's the canvas that created that is theirs, right? So, you know, makeup artistry is such a unique form of artistry. You know, most, most artists start with a blank canvas. If I was to paint a picture, if I was going to be a potter, you know, you start with nothing and you, and you develop from the ground up. Uh, with makeup, you know, you, you start with an already, you know, finished work of art. And then the job of makeup and good makeup, at least to me, is, I want to celebrate the art that's in front of me. And so I think that's why it, you know, that's why it can be such a beautiful moment because I think uh, it happened for me growing up uh, where I learned to love, you know, my unique features because of makeup. I might not have otherwise. I think that's why it matters so much because it's an opportunity for people to recognize beauty in themselves that they might not have otherwise. Um, so that, that's number one. And the other is, it's like anything, it's just how we decorate ourselves. It's how we celebrate ourselves. Even just the moment we take, the lives are busy, we're, you know, we're running around very often doing for others and just trying to, you know, <laughs> keep our heads above water. But there's this moment in our day where we stop and say, this is a moment about me. Um, and that's valuable too. Awesome. And as we're pulling into our close here, um, Terry, can you just give us 
say two or three tips, very practical tips and tricks, somebody else who might be going through some kind of physical change and is thinking of designing something differently based on what they've discovered now with a new point of view. Are there kind of like any sort of like, you know, do's and don'ts do you you know call go to go to george foreman's uh you know <laughs> invent help or not you know like what are the things you do well you know it's interesting because i think we are you know and, and the greater picture is we are always evolving you know as human beings and so i think the first thing is um you want to be present uh, in your own evolution, right? So for, for me personally, I was evolving in my career, but I wasn't present in what was happening. Uh, the moment I became present, because it was kind of forced to become present, right? Um, that's when sort of evolution becomes a precursor to reinvention. So I would say the first thing is be present as your life is changing uh, and, and be an active participant and then be open and honest with yourself and fully embrace it. Because, you know, my personal example was, I was, I, you know, I found out I had this diagnosis and at first I didn't, wasn't open and honest and I didn't embrace it. And until I did, I couldn't unlock the reinvention that was waiting to happen, right? Um, so if, if there's something waiting to unfold, I think, you know, white, true white space is filled by someone standing inside that space, right? So the moment you, you are present and you embrace if it's if it's there, that's when you are able to unearth it. So, and then once you do that, with the the opportunity to embrace is also the opportunity to find your community, um, because if it's your truth and it's authentic to you, I guarantee you, you are not alone. Uh, when I sort of embraced it and reached out and found my community, uh, you know, the the awareness that I was onto something you know, became even greater and, and drove me even, you know, in, a, in an even stronger way to continue on because it wasn't just creating for me, I was creating for, you know, for the whole, I was creating for everybody. And, and that, you know, I think that's a drive, would be a driving force for many people. Awesome, Terry, that's incredible. I love it. And I love the fact that when you are totally present, that's when the opportunities for reinvention actually show themselves. And I think we live these, or we did, we are talking to each other in the middle of the lockdowns <laughs> for COVID-19. But I do believe that these are the moments when we slow down and we can actually see things that maybe we couldn't see when we were rushing around. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. Terry, thank you so much. Everybody will go check out guidebeauty.com. And it's great even if you um, just don't know how to put on your, uh, your eyeliner. It sounds like it's going to be so much easier for everybody. I love the idea of changing ergonomics. And I love the fact that you believe in makeup. So do I. Um, there is a transformation um, that happens. And it all plays into our psychology and our ability to go forward every morning. So thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. So thank you all for joining us today on Reinvent Yourself. I hope you enjoyed this very unusual conversation um, with Terry Bryant who decided she was going to change the world when she found herself changed. And she's changed it for the better for many, many people. 
And if you like this conversation, I hope you will subscribe to Reinvent Yourself. And I hope that you will also come join us over at CoveyClub.com. We have all kinds of programming that's going on. Uh, We are ramping up our virtual webinars so you can learn all kinds of things during the week. And we are still doing our great content. And then uh, when the world comes back from this crazy moment, we will start our live events again too. But right now we are putting up all kinds of great webinars for you to learn from and they're all live either it's interviews with people who are doing fabulous books you might want to read or techniques and things you might want to learn or financial coaches or love coaches uh, all this kind of stuff and we're doing it live um, over the zoom network and you can sign up and join us so come join us and we hope to see you soon thank you for joining